so what, what's happening, Aaron? So Howard, one thing I'm seeing a lot with my clients right now and reading about, reading, reading about in the news quite a bit is rate caps and expiring rate caps mm -hmm. mostly. Um, so I think it'd be a good idea just to understand the basics. What is a rate cap? Okay, so that's pretty straightforward uh, question, but I understand if you're not you know, in the real estate world, you right. may not know. So in most cases, real estate owners, developers, et cetera, get floating rate debt, especially when they're dealing with non-permanent financing, which is like not a 10, 20 year loan. And so the floating rate debt is usually, used to be based on LIBOR, but now with LIBOR going away, it's based on Prime or it's based on SOFR or something like that. Um, and then a, a spread based on the risk. What a rate cap is, is it's a derivative instrument that basically just caps the interest rate. So for example, you could buy a rate cap, you could have a loan, let's say, that's at SOFR plus 300. And today that would be about, I don't know, 8%, give or take. Um, and what you could do is say, I'm gonna get a rate cap that's gonna cap the interest rate at 9%. So if the interest rate goes above 9%, you never have to pay anything more than 9%. If it goes below 9%, or I should say the rate plus your spread is below nine, you pay whatever that number is. Generally speaking, you pay a premium to get a rate cap, um, which is usually based on, in essence, the present value of that rate cap based on kind of what the current market interest rate is and what the future expectations are. So way back when, you're talking about the expiring caps. So two years ago, three years ago, when you know LIBOR was at 0.1%, um, the interest rate caps were really, really cheap. You'd spend like $100,000 to get a $50 million rate cap at 3% well, for two I'll years. Well, I'll stop you there. I, I was doing some research mm -hmm. in April 2019, a 3% three-year $100 million rate cap you could buy for $100,000. Exactly. Today, $3.5 million. Exactly, exactly. And you know, it's really interesting for us as auditors, it's kind of come into our world because they've always been there, but at $100,000, it's not material, so we never cared. Now, all of a sudden, like you said, three and a half million, holy cow, you know, that's, there, there's a lot of value there and it, it gets expensive. But they're there for a reason, but to your point, what happens when, when they expire? Right. So, so rate cap is essentially insurance against rising interest rates, right? right? Different than a swap. It, it's the same concept, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, it's it's different than a swap. The difference with the swap is that when you enter into a swap, you don't pay anything for it. And so there's no premium and you're just swapping a fixed rate for a variable rate. So the thing is, is let's say if you take your what your current variable rate is and you swap it to 5%, you're going to pay 5% no matter what. So you've got kind of a, you turn a, a variable rate into a fixed rate loan. Whereas a cap, you keep it as a variable rate loan until it gets to a point in which case you stop paying the variable rate and start paying the fixed rate. So why don't real estate investors just get fixed rate debt more often? You know, that's a really <laughs> good question. I actually reached out to one of my buddies mm -hmm. who's a um, senior lender at a very large bank and asked him and his response was, that's a really good question. Um, what we've gathered is to a great extent, the banks have to match up their assets and their liabilities. So the thing to remember with a bank is the loan is an asset. Your checking account is a liability to them. That's why we always go, why'd you credit my account? Us accountants get really freaked out about that. You know, you credited my account, wait, it's going up. <laughs> so you gotta look at it from the bank standpoint. But you know, your, your savings account, your checking account, you're getting paid interest and that interest is going up and down based on what's happening in the market. So that's a variable rate 
liability for them. And so they generally want to have a variable rate asset that goes along with it. So that's why in a lot of cases, if, especially if you're doing bank lending, um, you're going to have more of a variable rate loan situation. Remember I mentioned permanent versus non-permanent. So in a lot of cases, if you have a permanent loan, let's say you know, as, a, as a person, think about a 30-year mortgage. Um, from the standpoint of a commercial owner, think of, say, a 20-year mortgage. Um, usually you get those with life insurance companies um, and maybe CMBSs. Um, and in those cases, they tend to be a little more fixed rate because as an insurance company, you're getting, in essence, your monthly premium payments, and you don't pay anything out until a casualty happens, whether it's a death or you know a, a casualty loss. So they have much, they're able to determine what their payouts are so they can structure their liabilities better to be able to have assets that are fixed rate. So these rate caps, they're mostly re required by the banks, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so so we have a real estate investor who maybe has a ten year loan mm -hmm. with a, but the rate cap is only good for three years. Right, they're coming up and they're going to have to renew that. Um, if they got a loan during the pandemic, it's the rate cap's probably about to expire. Mm -hmm. It's now co costing quite a bit more to do this. There's going to be there's going to be some hard decisions out there. Right, either capital calls or or sponsors forced to sell properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And, and you got to think about it from the standpoint of what would have happened if the cap wouldn't have been there to begin with. Okay, The borrower isn't in necessarily in a worse position with the cap expiring and having to renew it or pay the higher interest rate because they would have been paying higher interest rates all along. And so, but it does create quite the conundrum in terms of I've got a great real estate property and if I buy the cap, or renew the cap, it's gonna cost me a lot of money to do it. If I can negotiate with the lender to perhaps say, let me not go with the cap right now and let me just stick with the floating rate, that has the risk of getting very expensive, especially if the lender maybe does a little bit of negotiating and says, well, you know, your rate was, you know, SOFR plus 275. Well, now there's a higher risk there, so it's gonna be SOFR plus 375. Kind of, you know, right. pour and a little bit of salt in the wood. Are rents keeping up? Can you service your debt anymore? Exactly. I mean, on, exactly. On a lot of these, I, I see that the banks require you not only the, an initial rate cap, but you're forced to escrow and mm -hmm. renew the rate cap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a good way to put it, to look at it is from the escrowing standpoint. I generally don't see that. Um, I think that's a great idea because you kind of plan for what's going to happen. I think there's still a lot of people out there who feel that even though interest rates have been up, 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 there's the expectation that the Fed is going to pause. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, a lot of people have gone really broke on trying to figure out what the Fed is going to do. But at some point, rates are going to probably start to normalize. Um, I don't even want to put the whole you know debt ceiling into the mix because that's just in my opinion, noise. Um, but at some point, we're going to probably get to where we get into a bit of a recession. Um, you know, we're already starting to see the bank failures. We're already starting to see distress in real estate. So we're, we're getting to that point. And then hopefully the thought is that when rates start to moderate a little bit, either they're going to expect them to maybe level off, in which case you don't necessarily need a cap or a swap, or get to a point where the caps and the swaps become affordable and go, go with it from there. Um, I did read, or I was listening to a podcast one time, and there was someone, they were doing a multifamily project, and they made the comment that we could either go without a cap on our loan, or we could buy a cap, and it was like $3.5 million. 
And their thought process was, let's go ahead and spend the $3.5 million on the cap. It's more money. We get that. It's going to reduce the returns. We get that. But like you said, as an insurance policy, we know where we're going to be. We can write that in. We can model it. And we know what we need to do to make the deal work, as opposed to the level of uncertainty if, you know, what if... what if interest rates go up another 300 basis points? Um, how do you how do you deal with that issue? So it's it's you know, it's a business decision to make. Do you want to have the cap, or do you want to float the rates and see what happens? I'm generally seeing lenders requiring rate caps, mm-hmm. um, and then also they're either saving for it or escorting for it, right? Mm-hmm. And the one thing that, that sometimes my clients are surprised by. That escrow, although you're out the money, you're out the cash, that's not tax deductible yet, right? And so it's kind of a double whammy. Oh, because you haven't bought anything. You haven't bought anything yet. You yeah. haven't paid for it yet, right? Well, from a, I guess, and from a tax standpoint, what, you deduct the rate cap when you buy it? Or yeah, is it deduct, over time? You, uh, it's over the, over the life of the rate cap. Okay. Uh, over the term of the rate cap. Got it, got mm-hmm. it. So yeah. I, won't, I won't get into the gap treatment. That's all treatment. the tax, tax talk. Yeah, I don't want to get into the gap yeah. treatment on it, <laughs> on it either. So are, are you seeing any anyone... Any clients with rate caps coming due that are being forced to make tough decisions on whether to call capital or sell properties? With my clients, no. Um, generally, most of my clients that I'm dealing with are still, we, we have a lot of merchant builder clients, and so they're still in the initial stages of it um, where they've got you know maybe a couple years to go, so not seeing a lot of issues. And in those cases, their intent is to probably sell the property before the, re- the loan matures. Mm-hmm. I've got some clients where they've been renegotiating their debt, um, and they're you know they're getting rate caps on with those. But you know we're talking properties that are you know hundreds of millions in value, so you know it's it's a big number, but it's manageable. Um, so, but I have read that there's been a couple of cases um, where there's been some properties, especially like on the West Coast, and I think maybe on the East Coast as well, um, where they just can't make the debt service, um, and they're turning around selling at pretty good sized discounts. So I feel like you know, that's that's not a good thing. But on the other hand, I feel like it's almost starting to break up the logjam of no transactions. Yeah. So may not be pretty, but at least we've got something that we kind of know where know where things are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you combine the um, the you combine the office market um, and the troubles you have there with expiring rate caps and you got you got a bad situation on your hands. Right. And those are the projects that I'm hearing about are mm-hmm. primarily primarily office projects yep. that are that are um, getting hurt a little bit. <laughs> so we'll we'll see where all that where all that falls out. Well that's all the time that we have today for our podcast. As always you can catch our previous episodes and all of our thought leadership at weaver.com. That's weaver.com. Mm-hmm.